after the service, we'd appreciate you being there as we can use some help as we plan out uh, nursery duties. Let's pray this morning. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace. God, I just pray and ask that you'd be with us, that you'd just bless us, encourage us as we look at your word. Be with the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world as we pray every Sunday, God, that your truth would go forth, that you would bring about change and revival, not only in this community, but first and foremost in our hearts, in the hearts of your believers. And God, I just pray and ask that we would leave here different than the way in which we came as we have interacted with your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're going to continue our sermon series titled Rooted in the Truth based on the book of 2 Peter. Now last week we discussed how this book was written by the Apostle Peter, probably from a Roman prison just before his death. Peter knew that his remaining time on earth was short, so therefore he wrote this letter as a means of sharing his final wishes with the people whom he loved. So Peter, in this letter, is he's warning his readers of the dangers of perverting the gospel message or changing the gospel message. And Peter wants his readers, and ultimately us, to know that the gospel that we are to cling to is the gospel that is rooted in the truth of God's Word. And that any other supposed gospel is really not good news at all. So last week, as we looked at the first four verses of 2 Peter, we saw that Peter built a foundation for the rest of the book. Peter reminded us of the provision of the gospel, that God has given us the gift of salvation through His Son Jesus. He reminded us of the power of the gospel, that Christ's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And we saw the promises of the gospel, that God has granted us precious and magnificent promises, not only in this life, but also in the final rescue from sin, in the life to come as we spend eternity with Him in heaven. So it is with this in mind that we turn to today's text. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 11 with me. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 11. And if you'll stand for the reading of God's word. God's word says this. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word this morning. Amen. You may be seated. So the first point in our sermon outline today is growing in godliness. Growing in godliness. And there's a lot of information in this first section, so we're going to try to break it up into phrases to get a clear understanding of what Peter is saying here. First, Peter begins with the phrase, now for this very reason. And this should cause us to ask, 
What reason? What are you talking about, Peter? Peter is referring back to the Gospel message of verses 1-4. through He's saying, because of the provision of the Gospel, because of the power of the Gospel, because of the promises of the Gospel, because of the Gospel, for this very reason, then he says, applying all diligence. This simply means to do one's very best. Or to make every effort to do something. To put in the maximum effort possible. Because of the Gospel, applying all diligence, then He tells us what we are to do. What we are to make every effort to do. He says, in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. So we are to supply, which means add, these virtues to our lives. Let's look at this list more specifically. First off, I think that it's important to understand that these traits are things that we grow in concurrently at the same time. They're not something that we master consecutively, one after another. Thus, we, would not, we should not think of this as a list that we work through, checking off each item, but rather as something that we are always working on. You see, there's only one individual who has perfectly fulfilled all these traits and has been without sin. And some Christian denominations teach that you can come to a place in your Christian walk where you are completely without sin. And you know what you do when you find somebody like that? Stomp on their toes, right? And see their response. No, don't do that. But if you, if you were to do that, if you were to stomp on their toes, you'd probably find that they would sin in response to your sin. See, because we don't ever get to that place where we're perfect. But instead, we grow in these qualities as we become more like Jesus, who was without sin. See, Peter's not saying that we are to add moral excellence to our lives. And then once we're, we've added moral excellence, then we take the next step and we add knowledge. And once we have knowledge, we add self-control. Instead, he's saying, as you grow in one, grow in all of them. Make sure that you're growing in all of these traits. Keep adding to your moral excellence. Keep adding to your knowledge. Keep adding to your self-control. And so on and so forth. Secondly, I don't believe that moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love is an exhaustive list of Christian virtues. It's not like these are the only virtues that we are to have. Certainly, we're also called to exhibit charity and patience and humility. If you just look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 20-23, we see other characteristics, and some of them overlap. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Right? All those things that as we, as we look at those things, we see some overlap with what Peter is saying. Peter's not providing an exhaustive list. Peter's instead pointing us to the fact that we, as followers of Jesus, are to continue to grow in likeness to Him and Christ-like characteristics. That is why I believe Peter starts with faith and ends with love. The Christian life is one that begins with faith and results in love. 1 Timothy 1.5, in that passage, Paul said this, he said, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the goal is love which comes from faith. As Thomas Schreiner said, he said, 
all the godly virtues in the Christian life find their source in faith, in trusting God for everything, and the culmination and climax of such faith is love. And that's one of the reasons me and my wife loved coming to Harmony. And we, we actually settled here was because of love. We, we came here, we sat here, and we said, there must be genuine faith because there's genuine love. We didn't say we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that every person has placed their trust in Jesus Christ, but we said we know that Christ is there because there is love. So instead of thinking of this as a list of things we are to do, the point is that this is the type of people we are to become as we look at Peter's list here. We are to become more Christ-like every day. Exhibiting moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. So let's pull all the pieces of verses 5-8 through together. Peter is saying, Because of the provision of the Gospel, because of the power and the promises of the Gospel, make every effort to be growing in Christ-like character. Don't misunderstand me. We don't grow in godliness. I'm not saying we grow in godliness so that we can receive the provision, the power, and the promises of the Gospel. We grow in godliness because we have already received the provision the power, and the promises of the Gospel. It's a natural outworking. That once you have received the provision, the power, and the promises of the Gospel, you grow to become more like Christ. In Philippians 3.12, Paul says, not that I have already obtained it, Christ-likeness, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He says, I work hard, I'm diligent, because Christ has made me His own. He doesn't say, I press on so that Christ will make me His own. He says, I press on because Christ has made me His own. And this mirrors when the Apostle Paul also told us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. He says, you've received a calling, now walk in a manner worthy of that calling. In other words, live in such a way that you're showing that the Gospel is at work in you. Live in such a way that you're growing because of the Gospel. So now we move on to the second point in our sermon outline. The first point is growing in godliness. The second point is persisting in godliness. Look at verses 8-11 through with me. 2 Peter 1, verses 8-11. through Peter says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Peter says, if these qualities are yours, and they are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the implication being that if you're not growing in them, then you are rendered useless and unfruitful in true knowledge. The terms useless and unfruitful are used throughout the New Testament. And they're used to describe both unbelievers and sometimes genuine believers who are not growing as they should. 
And can you imagine standing before Christ who says that our faith has been rendered useless and unfruitful? The term useless is most often translated idle or lazy. It's the same word that we see in Matthew 20, verse 3, where we read, And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. They were doing nothing. So when Peter says, your faith has has rendered you useless, means you're doing nothing. The word unfruitful means not productive. And there's some carryover here. It's the same word that's used in Titus 3.14 where we read, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. See, Paul, in writing to to Titus, understood that there is a faith that exists in believers that can be genuine, but while it's genuine, there are times in our lives where we, we come to this place where we're no longer fruitful in our faith. Peter goes on to speak of such individuals by saying, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his, his purification from his former sins. See, the NASB here adds the word or in an effort for clarity. And I don't know how familiar you are with, with your various Bible translations, but when you see a word in italics, it's added for clarity. It's not in the text. So when the NASB says that this person is blind or short-sighted, what it really says is this person is blind, short-sighted. And the NASB says, well, we need to add this word to make it more clear. And that's, that's not bad because you're translating from one language to another language, and sometimes you have to do that. However, I think the English Standard Version helps bring even more clarity to this verse. Because it says, whoever lacks these things is so nearsighted that he is blind. See, he's not either nearsighted or blind. He's so nearsighted that he's blind to the truth. So therefore, there are two people, I believe, in view here. The first person is the one who has been temporarily blinded. This is the person who is a genuine believer and has become so entangled in sin that they've lost their sight of the Gospel. And therefore, they're no longer growing in their faith. I know a man like this, who's like this one time. He was a pastor. A pastor to church. Growing church. Felt the need to step down and, and pursue other ministry. And, but in that time, when, between when he stepped down and when he stepped into another pulpit, his faith began to grow dim. He became so consumed with what was right in front of his face, namely providing a living for himself, that he became blind to the Gospel. And he got wrapped up in worldly things and decided, oh, it's okay to miss church once. Not that missing church is the end, or being in church is the end-all be-all. But he forsook gathering together because he said, I need to provide a living. I need to provide for myself. And one Sunday led to two, and two led to three. And suddenly, he's no longer fruitful in his faith. And he wasn't growing any longer. And God shook this man and brought him back. He helped remind him of the the provision, the power and the promises of the Gospel that he had forgotten. And he returned to a place of growth. It was used mightily in the next church that he eventually pastored. See, Peter isn't saying that these people won't be able to tell you what the Gospel is because they're blind. What he means is that they're not living and growing in light of it. 
They can tell you what the Gospel is, but they're not living in such a way that they're showing and demonstrating belief and trust in the Gospel. The second type of person in view here is those who are blind and whose purification was merely external. They were never truly born again. And these are the people of the sower and the seed in Matthew 13. If we look at Matthew 13, and you don't need to turn there, but if you look at Matthew 13, we see these people... Verses 18-23, through 23, first Jesus tells the, the parable of the sower and the seed, and then He explains it. And in verses 18-23, through 23, He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Same word is what Peter uses. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And if you get nothing else out of this parable, notice that, that Jesus says, the first person, he hears the word and he understands it, but he rejects it. The next two people, they hear the word, but there's no indication as to whether they truly understand it. And the implication is that they think they understand it, but they don't. And then the first person, the last person, it says he under he hears it, he understands it, and he bears fruit. See these two people in the middle are the people who they seem to be purified, but their purification is merely external. They may even have at some point said a prayer or walked an aisle or gone to church. They may have sprung up and even appeared to grow for a little while. But because they had no firm root, no true knowledge of Jesus, they didn't continue in obedience. And it's dangerous for us to say that because somebody walked, walked an aisle or said a prayer one time, that they're suddenly saved. Because the genuine believer grows in obedience. There are times when we falter, times when we stumble, like this pastor did. But the genuine believer grows in obedience throughout his life. So now look at verses 10 and 11 with me. Peter says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Before, Peter said, apply all diligence in becoming like Christ. Now he says, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. In other words, do your best to make sure that you have heard, understood, and appropriately applied the Gospel. Don't just be able to parrot it back. Make sure you have truly heeded God's call to repent from sin and trust in Christ. See, far too many in the church today have watered down the Gospel message. And they're presenting the idea that our response is simply belief. Simply intellectual Belief, whereas the Bible calls us into relationship with Jesus as our Lord. 
James said, even the demons believe and shudder. See, Jesus cannot be your Savior without being your Lord. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 38 with me. Acts chapter 2, verses 36, or yes, 36 through 38. This is Peter preaching at Pentecost. Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, They were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, Peter, the author of this very letter, says God has made him both Lord and Savior and Christ. And when... He said that, they were pierced to the heart. And their reaction was, what then shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Turn away from your old life. Repent and begin a life of obedience. First by baptism, but he's speaking of a life of obedience to Christ. Be diligent to respond appropriately to what you have heard and understood. See, Peter is echoing the instructions of Paul in 2 Corinthians 13.5, when Paul says, examine yourselves to see that you are, in, are indeed in the faith. Because your behavior might just indicate that you are not. If you're not growing in these qualities, you need to examine yourself for you may not be a follower of Jesus. And yet, at the same time, every believer, as we mentioned, does experience times of spiritual blindness. Sometimes those periods are very brief. And we come back to a place of repentance quickly. We take that extra cookie from the cookie jar that we know we shouldn't take. And we quickly repent and say, whoa, that was a bad idea. And sometimes they're prolonged periods of disobedience. And we lose sight of the Gospel. All we can see is what is right in front of us. And we want what is right in front of us. I had a conversation with a young man about this earlier this week. And he said, how is it that everyone else in the church can see that what they're doing is wrong and they can't see it? And I said, that's the thing with deception. They become blind to the Gospel. All they can see is what's in front of them because they're so nearsighted that they've become blind. See, Peter reminds us that the Gospel promises us victory. So we need to set our sights on the Gospel. He says, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Interesting use of words. Peter says, you believers, you need to supply yourself with these virtues. And then at the end he says, and when you do, when you practice these things, God will supply you with eternal life. When Peter talks about never stumbling, he's he's not saying we're never going to sin again. right? He's instead saying, Christ's kingdom has been abundantly supplied to you. The point being that If we are practicing these things, applying diligence and being Christ-like, you can have assurance that you are truly saved and that God by His grace will finish His work in you. 
See, Peter wants us to know that genuine believers practice godliness. They grow in it. And that assurance of salvation, a trust that they, that they will ultimately never stumble, completely stumble, can be had by all who do. That there is assurance that comes from Christ. That's why in Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am confident of this very thing. That He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and your soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because faithful is He who calls you, and He also will bring it to pass. So we practice godliness, and we grow in it, knowing that God is faithful to finish His work in us. We have an increase in confidence as we do so that we can be called sons and daughters of God. We have assurance as we practice godliness. So 1 John 2, verses 3-5 through says, By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His Word, in Him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this, we know we are in Him. So when a believer stumbles, when a believer seems to no longer be growing, and somebody says to me, they say, were they ever really saved? I say, and not in a crass way, time will tell. Time will tell. That God is faithful to finish the work that He started. And I don't know their heart, but I know that our response is to preach the Gospel to them. Remind them of the Gospel. Because if they never saw the Gospel, they need to see the Gospel. And if they saw the Gospel and they lost sight of it, they forgot about it, they're living as though they've forgotten the Gospel, they need to see the Gospel. The point is that they need to see the Gospel so that they can live in light of that Gospel. And when somebody says, as Julia did, I led this person in this prayer and they prayed. And we don't know the genuineness of anyone's prayer. But you know what? Time will tell. Time will tell. And if that prayer was genuine, if that girl repented of her sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, she will persevere. That looks different for all of us. We'll grow at different rates, but we do grow in those characteristics as God is faithful to finish what he started. So to sum up all of 2 Peter 1, verses 5-11, through 11, in probably the fastest sermon I've ever preached, Peter is saying that growing in godliness, growing in godliness is necessary evidence of genuine faith. That genuine faith produces a growing in godliness. Therefore, he says, assurance that one's faith is genuine comes to those who grow in godliness. So if growing in godliness is necessary evidence, and we need assurance, that assurance comes to us through growing in godliness. I can look back on my life and I know that Christ is at work in me. Because this is not me. Somebody asked me yesterday, how did you change? I I was not a happy person. uh, Where I work now, I... uh, 
I won't go into the details of what I did, but basically I would not allow somebody to come to the second floor of the building where I worked and made quite a few threats that if they ever did, it would be the last time they climbed those stairs. And this person, this coworker, said, how did you change from that to this? I said, I didn't change. That's the thing. It wasn't me. It was Christ at work in me. And to me, at times when my faith is weak and I think, what am I doing, God? Is this real? Where am I at? Where are you in this? I can look back and say, yes, I have assurance. I have assurance in the Gospel because Christ is at work in me and He's growing me to become more godly. So how do we apply all of this to our lives here at Harmony Bible Church? Number one, be diligent. Make every effort to grow in godliness. It's not right to say, Christ will finish the work in me. Therefore, I need to do nothing. No, we work. We persevere. We work hard at growing in godliness. And how do we do this? By practicing spiritual disciplines. Read the Scriptures. Read them daily. We've tried to have a rule in our house, and Kim and I try to live by it. We don't do it perfectly, but our rule is no Bible, no breakfast. If we don't read God's Word, if we don't feed our soul for the day, we have no business feeding our body. None. Because we need to feed our soul. Practice the disciplines. Memorize the Scripture verses. Hold each other accountable. Spend time in prayer. Be serious students of the Word. Become doers of the Word. Number two, be even more diligent to make certain that we are in the faith, especially when godliness is not ours and increasing. I don't care if you're 127 years old and you've been a Christian forever and you feel like, you know, I haven't grown for the past 20 years. Then you need to say, am I really a believer then? Because regardless of where we are in life, we need to question, we need to ask ourselves, are we truly saved? Because believers grow. And can you look at yourself in the mirror tomorrow morning and say, I am a different person than I was five years ago. And if you can, praise God because He is changing you and working on you. And if not, then you need to say, Lord, am I truly trusting in You? Have I lost sight of Your Gospel? Or did I never even see Your Gospel in the first place? God, help me to have a view of the Gospel that causes me to grow. And how do we do this? We do this by preaching the Gospel to ourselves and to others. By remembering and proclaiming the Gospel in every sermon, every Sunday school class, every prayer meeting, every Bible study, everything we do, it comes back to the Gospel. And number three, live a life of full assurance as you persevere in godliness. See, Peter says, persevere in godliness. And when you do, you'll know that God's at work in you. You'll have assurance of salvation because you're clinging to His promises. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to cling to His promises and persevere in faith and godliness as a body of believers at Harmony Bible Church. So be diligent to grow. Make make for certain that you are saved, that you are indeed in the faith, especially in times when you're not growing. And live a life of full assurance as you persevere. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your grace. God, I just pray that You'd be with us today. That You would mold us and make us into the person that You have desired 
us to be, the person that You are making us become through Your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that every person here would be serious about growing in godliness. God, that we would be diligent. That we would work hard, make every effort to grow. God, I pray and ask that we would be even more diligent to make sure that our our seeking to grow is not in vain, but instead it is because we are rooted firmly in the truth. That we are indeed in the faith. And God, lastly, I pray that we would live a life of full assurance as we do persevere. And God, that we would proclaim Your Gospel, seeking the same for others. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
So that's my prayer for you this morning, that we heed the words of this song, O to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus, Thy perfect likeness to wear. O to be like Thee, while I am pleading, pour out Thy Spirit, fill with Thy love, make me a temple, meet for Thy dwelling, fit me for life and heaven above. May the Lord do that as you as you persevere in growing to be more like Him. Go in peace. Amen.